He said, you left it. To leave something means I've put something else in its place. Are you with me? When I leave something, sadly, usually in breaking a covenant relationship, it's because I've placed something else as the importance in that relationship. Am I making sense? And the scripture goes on to say, return to me. He said, I have this one thing against you. You have left your first love. He says, remember from where you have fallen and return. He says, well, how do, how do I return? There's a great big word that we hate to use in today's church. It's called repent. And the word repent means you were going that direction. You stop exactly where you're at and you turn around and you go the other direction. Welcome to the Destined to Win podcast with pastor and teacher Tim Masters. Pastor Tim is the senior pastor of Victorious Life Christian Center in Flagstaff, Arizona. I'm Joe Harding, inviting you to join us for worship services Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. For more information on the ministries of Victorious Life Christian Centers or to make a donation, visit us online at vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Now with today's message, here's Pastor Tim Masters. If you have your Bibles, let's open them to the book of Matthew. I made a statement last week in our sermon notes, and that, that statement was about the word friend. The word friend in Scripture is called a covenant word. When someone is a friend, that means they are in covenant with you. They are in relationship that will not be violated. Now let me expound upon that just for a second. If in a marriage, the best way I can have an effective marriage is if my wife and I become best friends. Some of you wives miss a great place to say amen. Why? Because there's an understanding that no matter how jacked up I get, it's, I'm, not, I'm not talking about doing stupid things. I'm talking about just, you know, sometimes us guys have attitudes. Amen. You women sure aren't listening today. Sometimes us, okay, you got it, okay? We do. And we can get messed up. And because of that friendship, she loves us no matter what. Why? Because she knows that that's not our normal. She knows what we're really like. Somebody defined the word friendship. They said a friend is somebody who knows just exactly how you are and still likes you. Somebody should say amen there because that means a lot of people that are really friends. But in that friendship, because that, she will not violate her part of that covenant which is to love me unconditionally, and vice versa. So this morning, what I want to say in beginning this message is that Jesus is that friend who will never violate 
that covenant. So what I want to say about Jesus is that friend. And the Bible teaches that Jesus, our friend, interrupted his life for us. And he asked us to do the same for him. Last week we determined in the message that I titled, Do We Possess Life or Have We Become Possessed by Life? We determined which capacity we have. And the capacity really is both. We have the capacity to possess life or to become possessed by life. But in our sermon, we found out that Jesus wants to be possessed by him, which is life. It's not the things of this world. So in this hour we live, let me make a very frank statement. God continues you and I to be challenged to get him back to first place in our lives. Now, I want to take you, it's not in your notes, but I want to take you real quick to the book of Revelation. The Bible lists seven churches. And one of the first churches was a church in Ephesus. In Ephesus, the Lord said all these great things. He said, yet I have something against you. And what it is that God has against us, what God said that he has against us, is that we've left our first love. Now look at me, please. It's not in your notes, so you don't have to read anything. But it's in your Bible. You can turn there, the book of Revelation. You left your first love. Now listen what he says. He doesn't say you lost it. He doesn't say you forgot it. Well, one translation says you forgot it. He said you left it. To leave something means I've put something else in its place. Are you with me? When I leave something, sadly, usually in breaking a covenant relationship, it's because I've placed something else as the importance in that relationship. Am I making sense? And the scripture goes on to say, return to me. He said, I have this one thing against you. You have left your first love. He says, remember from where you have fallen and return. He says, well, how do, how do I return? There's a great big word that we hate to use in today's church. It's called repent. And the word repent means you were going that direction. You stop exactly where you're at and you turn around and you go the other direction. That's a simple term, the simple definition for repent. You make it 180. How many with me? And I say that before I start this message today because there's many people in the church that need to repent. We've allowed so many things to become God in our lives. We become so consumed and possessed with life. That we no longer possess life, which is in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Can you say amen? Does that make sense this morning? Okay, I got three amens. Does that make sense this morning? I have to say that before we start because that's what this entire message. I'm not going to win friends and influence people this morning. I love you, 
but that's just kind of what it is. But I am going to preach a message that if you'll grab it, will, lit, will change your life. God continues to challenge us to give him first place in everything. And to do this, we first must understand the selfishness of man, that's you, that's me, and the selflessness of Christ. And in that, and only in that, can we begin to evaluate the place we have placed our priorities. And it's very simple. I left it in your notes. It's either in this life or it's in eternity. It's either in this world or it's in Christ. And you might say immediately, Pastor, how am I going to know the difference? When we get done today, you will know. Matthew chapter 4. The Bible says as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, we used this passage last week, he saw two brothers, Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come and follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. And underline this in your notes, at once they left everything and followed him. At once, they left everything and followed him. Some people say, and I deal with people all the time, and they say this statement, seeing is believing. Yet in Christ, we have to understand it is only when we believe that we will truly see. There is no place in this passage that shows that Peter and Andrew Took a few days to talk about it. Took a week or a year to discuss. Well, he said, follow me. I don't know. What, what do you think? What did Peter and Simon do? They chose to believe. In John chapter 20, we find the picture of, of, Peter, of Thomas, who is called the doubter. We know him as Doubting Thomas. Didymus was his name. And the Bible says that Jesus, after his resurrection, appeared to the disciples, but Thomas wasn't there in the midst. And the disciples were all excited. They went and, showed, and told Thomas, we've seen Jesus and blah, blah, blah. And Thomas's response was, I will not believe unless I see. Now look at me for a second. That's the majority of the Christian church today. They will not believe unless they feel something unless they see something well, how do I know it's true if there's no manifestation of it you know why Peter and Andrew just left everything because back then they knew the scriptures they knew the Messiah was coming they'd heard about Jesus and when he said follow me they didn't need anything else Too many times we need something more than the Bible. And the minute we do, we lose. I'm going to get people mad because I just dropped my Bible. <laughs> Am I making sense so far? Thomas said, I won't believe unless I see. Now let me share something with you. God has no problem with people to search the scriptures and search the truth. Matter of fact, there is no place in this Bible that says follow because of blind faith. 
It says, search the scriptures. Jesus himself said, in me, or in them, they speak of me. Peter and Andrew left everything because they knew the scripture said what Jesus, what the Messiah was going to be. There's another passage that we find in Luke chapter 9. Jesus told a young man, he's got the disciples, and he told a young man, leave everything and follow me. The young man's, the young man's response in 960 of Luke, if you want to look at it, he said, let me go bury my father first. Now if you understand the culture and you understand the time that he's talking about, the stuff he's dealing with, the boy's dad wasn't even dead. He said, let me wait until my family gets things in order and my dad dies and stuff, and then I'll come and follow you. Let me take you to Matthew chapter uh, 22. The Bible says that an entire feast of people were invited there was a great king going to get married, uh, or in this kingdom, there was a great marriage that was going to happen. And all of a sudden, the, the, the king said, go and send these people out. The, the, the prominent person said, go and send these people out and invite all of these dignitaries. And every single one of them, read it in Matthew 22, every one of them had a different reason or priority of why they wouldn't come. There's signs you see around the church from what's called the Truth Project, something that we do uh, on almost an annual basis that we'll do again this year. And the sign says, do we really believe that what we believe is really real? At once... They said, it's no longer about my life. It's about his life and what he did. They dropped everything, and they followed. No discussion was recorded. They left their businesses. They left their livelihood all to immediately follow. And I left this in your notes, I believe. You know what they did in today's society? They left what was comfortable. They left what was convenient. They left what was cool. How many know being a Christian sometimes ain't cool? It ain't. You stand up for Christianity? Ah, you bigoted person. You self you know, just fill in the blank. How many have ever dealt with that kind of stuff? Be honest. Me too. Who do you think you are? A Christian. They left what was cool and common to accept a call that at times was uncomfortable, inconvenient, uncool, and might I add, quite uncommon. Now, I'm going to read from an author. I was having coffee with Stephen the other day, and he said, Pastor, do you know who this Ben Campbell Johnson is? I said, yeah. The guy was kind of a little flaky way back when, but he's kind of gotten better. Has he gotten better? No, he hasn't gotten better. But he did a good job in translating some of these passages, so I'm using him this morning. I thought he'd gotten better, but he hasn't. No, okay. So I don't recommend go reading Ben Campbell Johnson books. But I love the way he got into the original language and brought it into modern terms. Listen to what he says in this same passage. He began to invite certain peoples. I'm reading Matthew 4, 18 through 20. And I'm reading it out of this, this, this uh, paraphrase is what it is. It's not a translation. So it's not a Bible. It's just a translation. Okay, or a paraphrase. He began to invite certain people to become his special 
understudies and to participate in his mission. He said to Peter and Andrew, join yourself to me and be part of my mission and you will pull people's lives out of despair and meaninglessness just as you are pulling the fish out of the sea. And without hesitation, they dropped everything and followed him. Now, what I want to do is let me expound upon where Johnson is coming from when he used that term, special understudies. In his, in his paraphrase, he said, I like to replace underst- uh, disciple with the word understudy. Because in today's society, too many people don't comprehend what it means to be disciple. So he said, I wanted to use a theatrical term. A term that we understand from drama. We understand from theatrics. We understand from leadership and business training. He said, I paraphrase disciple with understudy because the dictionary usually defines a disciple as one who adheres to the doctrine of another. And that's a a, a definite definition of disciple. But he said it goes much further than just accepting the doctrine. Let me go on. He said it involves experiencing Christ alive in us. Utilizing all the dimensions of our person to communicate his love and his care for others. Let me just stop there for a quick second. What does that mean? Even when he didn't feel like loving people, he still loved them. Even when he didn't feel like taking the time for somebody, he still took the time for somebody. And we find that over and over in Scripture, he was exhausted, he was tired, and yet he said, don't forsake the little children, let them come to me. He was being pressed on in a crowd, and this woman with an issue of blood couldn't get to him because of the multitude pressing on him. And then all of a sudden, he feels her touch his garment. (coughs) He feels her get through the crowd, and he said, somebody touched me. He was always willing to drop everything in a moment at the faintest cry. At the touch of a need of a man or a woman. Are we? Say, Pastor, that's your job, not mine. If you're a Christian, it's your job. It's your job to forsake all at all times to touch one. At one time. Understudy is more appropriate, Johnson says, because it describes the nature of of how Jesus' followers should be. He said it's a word borrowed from theater. Now listen to this. And it refers to one who is able to take on the role if the lead actor is not physically present. How does that do for bringing it into perspective? The understudy does not simply imitate. He fulfills the role. In a sense, that's what Jesus does when he manifests his life through us. Because Jesus is not physically walking on the earth today. And you've heard the statement. I've said it. Other people have said it for years. To a lot of the world, we're the only Jesus they're ever going to see. And the sad reality is many in the world reject Christ because of Christians. 
Did I tell you this was not going to be an easy message? Are you okay? And it's only because of the way that we have priorities set in our life. You see, God is looking for people who will drop everything and join Him. See, that's what it means to be Christ-like, which, by the way, is the definition of Christian. And to set the priorities straight in our life, we must understand it's a two-part proposition. God's part and our part. So let me break it down quickly. God's part is He allows us to put our name on His ministry. Understand, realize this, his name's at stake. Every time the doors of this church open and people walk into this place, the way you and I act as Christians is a good or a bad blight. Bad, a blight's a bad thing, right? It's a bad thing against God or it's a good thing for God. When they come in and they see Christians, Christ-like people. Oh, by the way, it's not just church on your job. If they know you're a Christian, how are we acting? I guess the harder question should be, do they know you're a Christian? I'll leave that one just set. See, God's part, he allows us to be a part of his ministry. Well, how did that happen? When he sent Jesus to die. And he caused us in our unrighteousness through the blood of Christ to become righteous. Can somebody say amen? See, this is God's part. He allows us to be part of His ministry. And we have to realize it is still His ministry. This is not Pastor Tim's ministry. This is not Victorious Life's ministry. What you are doing in the church is not your ministry. It is still His ministry, and we are just part of His ministry. Am I making sense? Let me give you just one example in the scripture that just gives a very cl clear understanding. Acts chapter 1 verse 17. We all know that Judas went and hung himself. That Judas who betrayed Christ. Judas Iscariot, the, the one whose surname was Iscariot. Uh, betrayed Christ. Betrayed the covenant. We're still in that picture, you see it? Betrayed that friendship. Remember in the garden when he came? And he kissed Jesus. Remember Jesus' response? Do you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? What is a kiss? It's the truest sign of covenant. It's the truest sign of friendship. Back in the day before we got in today's immoral and promiscuous society, a man never kissed his bride until that day they married. Oh, God forbid, I'm stepping on toes now. There was no kissing. Why? Because things lead to things. Man, it's quiet in here. But am I right? Back in the day, that's what it was. Why? Because it was a sign of covenant. You betray me with a kiss? So Judas betrayed him, and in Acts chapter 1, verse 17, the disciples were determining who's going to take his place. And listen to the statement they said. He had his part, or his place, as that, uh, the message translation put up there. He had his place. Why did I use the message? Anyway, doesn't matter. He had his part in this ministry. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, let me help us understand something. 
Jesus may not be walking on the earth right now, but he is not a retired preacher. He is still fully in place and in position. 1 Corinthians 3 says, what, after all, is Apollos? What is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. That's who you and I are. We're just servants through whom people have come to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. Paul writes, he said, I planted the seed. Apollos watered it. But look at this. God made it grow. So neither is the one that plants nor the one that waters the issue. They're not, they're not the, 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 they're anything in this. It's only God, the one who makes it grow. Hebrews chapter 1 says, in the past days, or the days past, God spoke by his prophets. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Jesus is still preaching today, covering more territory. Why? Because he has more men and women, disciples, understudies, proclaiming his message around the world. See, this is God's part. God's part, he allows us to enter in and become part of his ministry. What is our part? Very simply, to be obedient vessels to his will, and because of that, we can do greater works as Jesus was talking about. He said, greater works shall you do in John 14 because I go to my Father. Now listen, it's not greater works in quality, it's greater works in quantity, because Jesus was limited to Judea, to Samaria, to Jerusalem, to those. His disciples are limitless. We're all over the world. Did you know somewhere 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, there are people praising the Lord? Everywhere, all over the world, all at the same time. In, in order for this to happen and to be the most effective, these people, myself, my wife, all those that call upon the name of the Lord have to prioritize their life that they're willing to drop everything at any time. As a pastor, I get called to the hospital. As a pastor, I get called to mortuaries. As a pastor, I get called to jails. I get called to, to, I mean, just fill in the blank. I get called to all kinds of places. And if I can be totally honest with you, there's sometimes this little wife of mine says, I have to let you go again. Folks, it is my call. As a pastor? No. As a Christian. Not because I have a title. I do this because I'm a Christian. Before I ever became a pastor, I used to go to the prisons in Arizona and around the country. Before I was ever a pastor, I used to go to, to uh, uh, convalescent homes all over the place. Before I, was ever, before I ever had a, pa a title, you know why? Because I'm a Christian. And sometimes I got that phone call right in the middle of dinner. Uh, honey, uh, it's a little... It's kind of, uh, Go, sweetie, go. I don't know about you, but sometimes the wives aren't so happy about that. Sometimes the husbands aren't so happy about that. Sometimes in life, we don't like to drop everything. Can you say amen today?
You see, if we are to be victorious in this life, if we are to, to be and to do what our title of this message says, to set our priorities in order, we have to become a drop-everything person. It's not good preaching, folks, but it's the Word of God. In the Scriptures in Matthew chapter 7, the Bible says, Choose God's way and give it priority in life. There are many easy choices that we can make which will lead to meaninglessness and despair. And many people have chosen that route. But choosing the narrow gate requires that we focus our lives and bring it under control. What is that narrow gate? In the scriptures, the Bible says that narrow is the way that leads to life. And few there be that find it. If many ask a lot of churches today, a lot of pastors today, their greatest ambition, and their greatest ambition would be many times to say to build a ministry. Yet that shouldn't be the greatest ambition in our lives. The greatest ambition in our life is to be part of the ministry that's already built. And I kind of put it in there, a cute little phrase. I'm already part of a ministry. It's called God and Sons Incorporated. The little logo is pulling lives out of meaninglessness and despair. Listen to what Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians 9. He said, I run straight to the goal with purpose in every step. He said, I've got no other, no other prerequisites, no other priorities. I fight to win. I'm not playing around, Paul says. And I'm reading out of the, the Living Bible, the Living Translation, not the NLT, the New Living Translation, but the Living Bible, the TLB, said, like an athlete, he goes on and says, I punish my body. I train it to do what it does not want to. That's kind of like a pastor. A pastor helps people sometimes to get into ministries and to do things that they're not really wanting to do. But yet God is placed into their heart and their lives. And pretty soon when they get into it, they start saying, wow, this is pretty cool. Go figure that God really knew what he's doing. He said, I cause it to do. I put it in to training that it would do what it should, not what it would. Otherwise, he goes on, I fear that after enlisting others for the race, I might be declared unflit and ordered to stand aside. Number two in your notes, God's part and our part. God says, I'll do my part. Will you do yours? He said, do your part and I'll do mine. And how is he going to do that? He said, I will give so you can give. I will do my part first. I will make a way where there seemed to be no way. I will give you life in the midst of a hopeless world that you, in turn, can share that life with others. You see, this is God's law of love, if you will. It is literally to live to give, live to serve. Jesus said it this way, I came not to be served, but to serve. So literally, if I take that and put it in your life and mine, he said if you will give, he will give it back. 
The true priority of our life is to give it away. And the more we give, the more we'll have to give. How many ever gave something and were just overwhelmed with excitement and joy at what you gave? I mean, just this, this exuberation welled up inside of you. It happens to me a lot. I, I, I come home sometimes and, yeah, I'm tired, and, you know, but I'm excited that I saw something change. I saw someone be affected. I saw a life that was one thing became something else. The Christian priority is to allow God to have unequivocal control of our lives. What does that mean? When I want to go someplace that maybe a Christian shouldn't go, I don't. When I want to do something that a Christian probably shouldn't do, I won't. When I want to say something that a Christian probably shouldn't say, I know that doesn't affect anybody in here, but just me. I guard my words. See, this is what it means to let Christ have unequivocal, without restriction, control of our life. That's the difference between the selfishness of man that says, well, it's just the way I am. It's just what I do. And the selflessness of Christ that said, Father, not what I want, but what you want. There are people who choose the narrow gate. Because the Bible says, wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there's many that go that way. But narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life. And there's few that find that. The question that has to be posed, whether you and I are going through a narrow gate or a wide gate, is very simply to ask the question, are we submitting to God's will? Are we putting his desires first? Are we putting him as most important? The irony of it is when we do this, that's when God grants us the desires of our heart. That's when God begins to move in our lives. And how does this happen? Because his heart has now become our heart. He has become the priority of our life. In, in Matthew 10, the Johnson translation says it this way, or the paraphrase says it this way, anyone who does not take his commitment to me with utmost seriousness, even to the point of giving his life for me, cannot have a complete relationship with me. Now you sit back and some would say, well, I don't want to necessarily die. Well, I'm not talking about dying, but what would happen if you had to die for Christ? If somebody walked into this place as they do around the world, there are more martyrs for Christ today than there have ever been all over the world. I had a team of people in Africa uh, last year, and just 200 miles from us, there was uh, uh, two or three dozen people that were killed by by terrorists as they threw grenades into active churches. Actually died because of the testimony of Christ. Are we willing to lay down our wishes, 
our dreams, our desires? Because if we are, then God says, this is a narrow gate mindset. But sadly, most will not give God that kind of control for their life. We want to give what's convenient and comfortable. But we're not sure about the cool part. Remember last week we used the word enthusiasm. And we found that the word came from two words, which was en and theos, that literally meant possession, or uh, enthusiasm literally means possessed of God. So does that define your relationship with Christ, my relationship with Christ? Am I enthusiastic in front of people? about who I am in Christ and what Christ has done. Let me wrap this up this morning. Setting priorities in life will literally set the priorities for life. Let me read that passage again out of Matthew 10. Anyone who does not take his commitment to me with utmost seriousness, even to giving his life for me, cannot have a complete relationship with me. God did not say we have to give up everything. He says that we have to be willing to. Because if not, there will always be something in the way of that covenant. If I met my wife and I married my wife and I still had old girlfriends out there, there would always be a violation in that covenant, wouldn't there be? And the same thing with, with, uh, with wives. If you still have boys, oh, they're just good friends. I've watched too many good friends become good problems. Don't get quiet on me now. I'm not trying to get rid of friends. I'm saying, what is your priority? She's mine, I'm hers. And that's the covenant. When anything else comes in between that, I can't have a complete relationship with her and vice versa. Is this making sense today? And in this world, especially in the hour we live, society is trying to press. I was listening to the news, not listening, I was reading. I get news every day on my computer. And I was reading this news thing that say only 74% believe in the First and Second Amendments in America. Well, if you're an American... 100% should believe in the, con the Constitution. Why is it only 74%? Because they have been persuaded that it might not be good. It used to be that everybody believed in this book, believed the Word of God, dedicated themselves. But today, it's almost only 20% in America. Society has convinced us, hey, maybe this isn't for today. Anything that wedges itself in that relationship will cause destruction and death. Can you say amen? amen? Anything. When you're in a crowd of people and you cannot be enthusiastic about Christ, you need to ask yourself, am I in the right crowd? Talking about the priorities. 
So I told you at the beginning, and I will in the next three minutes tell you, how do I know if this is really happening in my life, if God really is first? Matthew chapter 12, on the screen, look at it. I'm sorry? Yeah, Matthew chapter 12. Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Let me take the word tree out and put person there. Make a person good, and the person's fruit, life, will be good. Make the person bad, the person's fruit will be bad. For a person is recognized by its fruit. Can I go a little bit more on that? Make a Christian good, and they will be Christ-like. If they're not, that fruit won't be Christ-like. For the Christian is recognized by their Christ-likeness. Matthew 12 goes on to say, Out of the abundance of the heart... The mouth speaks. You see, what is happening on the inside of your life and mine will be reflected on the outside. Everything that we say we are is recognized by the life that we choose to live. That is what really tells whether we're Christian or not. Pastor, are you judging? Not at all. God didn't call me to be a judge. But in his word, he called me to be a fruit inspector. He said, you'll know them by their fruit. Is that what it says? And if our fruit is not exemplifying Christ, what does it mean? Folks, in the day and the hour we live, I'm not saying that things are bad. I'm simply talking about obedience and priorities. As here he comes this morning, let me read that same, that same worship or that same thought in that Johnson translation or uh, paraphrase in Matthew 12. Listen to what he says. Truly I tell you, every word which we speak is an indicator of our relationship with God. What we say symbolizes how our life is with God. I'm going to show, before Aries starts playing, I want to show a little video that I was going to show at the beginning of, of the session, but I want to show it at the, begin, at the end. And it's called, the video is simply called Clear. And what it's talking about is our life needs to be a clear representation, go ahead, of what Jesus is in our lives. Complicated, burdensome, stressful, pressure, impossible, baffling, intangible, alienating, confusing, clear. Can you hear that? The profound things that Jesus taught are at their core clear and simple. Centered around three key relationships. Up, in, and out. Up, a relationship with God. Grow it. Give it time and attention. Give Him time and attention. Because he first loved us. He is worth it. He is first. In. It's us. You. Me. All of us. Together. 
Not the programs. Not the building. Not the schedule. We, all of us, are the church. And they will know us by our love. Our love for one another. So get your hands dirty. Serve. Challenge. Build up. Go deep. Go deeper. Together. Live in community. So they will know us by our love. Out. Look around you. The mission is here. And here. And here. So go. Wherever there's brokenness. Uncertainty. Despair. Indifference. Wherever people don't know the love of Jesus. With God, we can be restorers. Offering faith, hope, and love. This is our mission. To go. So go. Up and out. God. Community. Mission. Align your focus around these three relationships. And grow. Grow as a follower of Christ. Grow with us. Here you'll see that nobody is perfect. Everyone's welcome. And anything is possible. It all starts in here. And it grows out here. That we can go out there. Pastor Tim Masters with this week's message on the Destined to Win podcast. Destined to Win is made possible with the prayerful and financial support of those destined to win. To donate online, visit vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Destined to Win is a production of Victorious Life Christian Center with services Sunday mornings at 10 at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. I'm Joe Harding. For Pastor Tim Masters and the congregation at Victorious Life Christian Centers, you're invited to join us here next week for another edition of the Destined to Win podcast.